0: Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley.
1: Scripture reading will be coming from Genesis 21, verses 8 through 13. So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham scoffing. Therefore she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing to Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice, for in Isaac your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. Please be seated.
0: Would you open God's book, please, to Romans, the ninth chapter, and you can leave it open there uh, if you want an outline of the sermon. I won't be there for a few minutes, but I promise I'm coming over there, and it is wonderful to see you here, a beautiful day to worship God. When this building was being designed, I remember voting. I didn't really have a vote, but I remember saying, I really would love big windows, on either side of the auditorium. And so we have these great shades so that if the sun is shining too brightly, we can, you know, keep, we can prevent that. But it was because of days like this one that I wanted these windows open. And isn't it a beautiful day that I just can't imagine a more pleasant atmosphere in which to worship God than the one that we enjoy this morning. And I'm so happy to see you here. Over the last few years, there have been sermons I have preached here and other places, that I would begin this way. I'm preaching a sermon this morning that I'm convinced my grandfather, who was a gospel preacher, never preached. In fact, my father, who was a preacher, I'm convinced that he never preached a sermon like this. And and it would be in reference to moral issues that are characteristic of our time, maybe about transgenderism or homosexual marriage or something. And that's why I would say, I don't think they ever did, but they probably touched on these things in some discreet passing way, but not a whole sermon. I'm convinced, however, today that I'm preaching a sermon. I don't have it. I don't know where it would be, but I, I'm convinced that if my grandfather in the 1940s, 1950s, would sometimes preach a sermon like this one. Our hearts are very heavy today over what's happening in the Middle East. And we grieve over that kind of unrest. We we watch the news. I, I'm sure you do. I am, because you're waiting for another shoe to drop. October seven concert about about three miles inland from the Gaza Strip, about three miles inland. Some some Israelis Jews were having uh, people from. Israel. They were having a, a concert, and it was reveling. It was they were it was music, and there was drinking and some drugs. And they Anyway, it was to go all night long, and that's what happened. And so early in the morning, about 6.30, when they were really sleepy, they started seeing some parachutes drop. And, and some of them, I, I, I guess, thought that it was part of the entertainment somehow. Maybe they would come down with guitars and trumpets. I don't know they were coming down with rifles and and then the missiles started coming in and they could hear them coming in not just here but other places in Israel too the missiles were dropping thousands of missiles and when the massacre was over 260 people that were at this concert were dead another 210 had been kidnapped many many more had been injured And, and, of course, then Israel responds. Of course, I mean, you, can't, you, you think about the, the Arabs doing this, and the strange thing to me, among all the strange things, is that what, they, what did they expect to happen? What did they think would happen? And, of course, Israel retaliates in a huge way. And now, the powers that be are saying to Israel, you've got to calm down. You've got to calm down. And Israel's saying, nothing to it. You know what? How many times are we going to let them hit us with this stick? walk up behind us and whack us. And this is, you know what? I suppose just about every president since, at least since back when my grandfather was preaching, would have Sundays. And they'd come and say, aren't we grieved about the Middle East and what's happening? And then they would preach this sermon or a similar sermon about Israel. I'm going to talk about Israel this morning. This evening, I'm going to talk about Gaza. Do you know Gaza is a Bible subject and about 22 times in your Bible, you find Gaza referred to? And so, I'm going to bring up that history tonight. We'll talk about that. And to me, it's just very fascinating. Gaza is, uh, is about, it's just a very tiny piece of ground, but it's highly populated by Arabs. It's right on the Mediterranean Sea, right on the coast, and it's about 25 miles long. I drove almost that far to come to worship this morning. I mean, it's not a big part of land, big parcel of land. It's, it's shaped kind of like a hammer, the head of which would be the southern part, and Egypt is right there. And and it's at its widest point, it's about seven miles wide. And, and then it gets narrower from there, but it's 25 miles by about seven miles. And contains, are you ready for this, 2.1 million people. And it's woven, interwoven with terrorists. Hamas. And that's the way that they work is they interweave with just regular people. Now, I understand that they're Arabs, and I understand all about that, but... But here is the argument. Now you, so Israel bombs, bombs them, and then they holler, look, you're killing innocent people. You know, how could you be so heartless as to kill innocent people? And so you understand how this thing goes. And, and perhaps you have studied your Bible enough that you know where this originates. It originates in Genesis chapter 16. and. The history of this is just fascinating and I don't have my mind it would take a long time to describe the history starting with Genesis 16 and bring us all the way up to today because there's been a constant battle between the Arabs and the Israelis I mean since the get go and so you start in Genesis chapter 16 can we throw that slide up there we go in this case or this chapter what you have is is Sarah come to Abraham? I'm too old to have children. I know that God has given us a promise that we would have a child through this, through your seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed, but I'm too old. I can't have babies anymore. And so I have an idea. Let's, let's take this Egyptian maid, Hagar, and make her the surrogate mother. And, and so you go in unto her and you bear, y'all you have a child together, and that'll be our child. We'll call it our child, and then the promise of God can be fulfilled. One of the greatest mistakes in all human time occurred then. Now, when you get to chapter 21 then, let's go to 21. It's time for the weaning of of Isaac. So he's a little boy. Now, Ishmael is 14 years. You calculate it from the age of Abraham that's given to us. Ishmael is 14 years older than Isaac. Isaac. When Isaac is ready to be weaned, they have a feast over this, have a have a to-do. And, and, and Ishmael is over there, and um, Ishmael's making fun of Isaac, scoffing, the Bible says, at Isaac. And mama, Sarah, sees this, and it, she just sees red, and she goes to Abraham and she says, okay, I'm about done with this. I want you to take Sarah and her boy, Ishmael, I mean, uh, Hagar, rather, and her boy, Ishmael, and get rid of them. I don't want to see them anymore. And when you get to 21 then, that's what's happening. And, and Abraham's grieved about this because Ishmael is his oldest son. Not by Sarah, not by promise, but still his son. He's got his nose, got his ears, right? And, and he, uh, he goes before God. And so God says, don't be upset about this. Look, you go ahead and do what Sarah says. You go ahead and send him away. But I just want you to know that I'm going to make a great nation after, is- uh, after Ishmael. Now, you come back tonight, we're going to talk about this. We've got to unpack this because how would God do this? I mean, God who sees the future, how could he he let an Ishmael happen? How could he do that? This is 4,000 years ago. 4,000 years ago. And today, the Arab nation is, is made up of, in one way or another, the descendants of Ishmael. Muhammad claimed to be a direct descendant of Ishmael. And so, the Islamic religion is is based, it's founded on a leader who said that we have the right to exist because of Abraham's oldest son. It's because of Ishmael. And when you get to Genesis chapter 25, and I don't have a slide for this, but we're going to talk about it tonight. You get to Genesis 25, and you have a list. Did you know that Ishmael has 12 sons? And there they're called princes and the great nation of Ishmael. It's not called that. That's what it is, though. And today, 4,000 years later, we're saying, isn't it a grievous thing that the Middle East is all upset? And so what happens is, just to kind of simplify this, probably oversimplify, what happens is that you have the, the, quote, descendants of Ishmael, the Islamists, the Arabs, and they're saying, look, our progenitor... Ishmael is, uh, is the eldest of Abraham, and the land promises to Abraham ought to belong to us. The land is ours. And these, these Israelis have just taken our land. You see, here's the argument. And the Israelis say, come on now, Isaac, from whom we come, Isaac is the child of promise, Abraham's child of promise. No, no, the land is ours, clearly ours. And so president after president, I mean, you talk about, what about Harry Truman? Remember Harry Truman? Well, you didn't know him personally, but in 1948, uh, May 14 of 1948, what happened is really interesting. This will be brief because this is a Bible sermon. It's not political. I'm just setting you up for it. But what happened on that day is just amazing, And, and you'll see just how white hot this is in the Middle East. This is 1948. And the, the Jewish Agency, a, a body of leaders among the Jews, declared Israel to be a state, a sovereign state. Immediately, Harry Truman, who was prepared for this, declared the U.S. endorsement. So you got the world's superpower stamping approval and, and, and uh, verifying, acknowledging the sovereignty of the Israelite nation it's going to be a year, and Israel will be, will be added to the UN, the United Nations. So they will be established. What do you think the Arabs thought of that? Now, I, listen, this is not political. I'm not here to try to persuade you any way about politics. To me, it's a political question. We're going to get to the biblical part, and I'm going to, I brought one major thing that I want to teach today, and I want to make sure that everybody gets this. This is going to be critical. But, but politically speaking, the U.S. has always seen... Israel to be sort of an ally and, and uh, maybe a stabilizer in that region. I'm sure that's how it's viewed. With Truman, what it was was that he felt sorry for the Jews because of the, the Holocaust, Nazi Holocaust. He felt grieved for them. And in addition to that, uh, he, he believed that the land was theirs. He, he was a Baptist. He hold, held on to the views that, that the Israelites were still still needed to be the recipients of that land. The land should have been theirs. And so he took that side from a religious standpoint. And that's going to be part of the lesson too. But what he did was to acknowledge that. that. He, He put a stamp of approval from the superpower of the U.S. and that's what happened. On that same day, five Arab nations attacked Israel. On the same day, And what we're going to see tonight, uh, today in, in Romans chapter 6, and then tonight we're going to go to Gaza, but, but for Israel, we need Romans chapter, not 6, chapter 9. Let's begin in verse 1. Here is the Apostle Paul and what he had to say to his fellow Jews. Paul was raised a Jew. He knew Judaism, and he's hurting because the Jews are lost. I tell the truth in Christ I'm not lying. You hear hear his emotions coming through. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I wish, I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Now, he's trying to appeal to them, frankly, to help them become Christians. And he says, I'm one of you. And my heart breaks when I think about this. But you've got to appreciate, folks, that, that Israel was lost. Israel, by and large, was lost. Now, you get to chapter 10 in verse 1, the next chapter. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record or witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. What's that? They're lost. That's what. And Paul writes and he says, I, 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 could, I, could, I could wish myself accursed from Christ if I could save my people. Now, that's been really troubling. That, that terminology there has been very troubling. And you know why? How could a Christian ever say such a thing? I, I, I could wish that I could go to hell. If I could save my people. Before you, before you go too far with that, you know, sometimes translators have, have tried to even tweak it a little bit. And maybe, maybe you could change it to say, I did wish, as in the past, before I became a Christian, or right after it became a Christian, when I was still rather young in the faith, back then, I, I could have wished this because I just didn't know any better. But, but that's just inaccurate. That's not what the text says. The original word is anathema, and it means what you think it means. I, I could wish myself damned for my, for my kinsman. How do, you, how do you grapple? How do you fi- fix this? And the answer is that it, it cannot be said or, or seen as a, a deliberate action or wish. What this is, is is an emotional expression. That's all. That's how you have to see it. And in case you want to be too critical of Paul, bear in mind that in Exodus chapter 32 and verse 32, Moses did the same thing. Moses said, pleading for the people of Israel, forgive their sin. If not, take my name out of the book of life. It was was an emotional expression. And God didn't come down on Moses for saying that. That's always been kind of interesting to me. But God recognized that it was simply an expression of that deep emotion, not... That he was being taken literally or wanted to be taken literally. It wasn't that. It was just an expression of emotion. And that's what Paul says here. So he starts out by saying to these Jews, my heart breaks for you. Now, verse 4. I'll start back in 3. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites. And then he's, then he's, these two verses, 4 and 5, he's going to say, let me tell you, I know how wonderful it is to be part of the Israelite nation. I understand what it was in the early days. And the blessings of God on your people, our people, was profound. This is, this is important. He's, he's establishing kinship with them. And he's going to plead for their souls to come to Jesus Christ. But he starts out and saying, I, I know I know what it was to be a, an Israelite. I know that. And here's some blessings. Now, let's go down the line from verse 4. The adoption. Hosea chapter 11, look at this wording. Can you bring that up? Here we go. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The adoption is that you were the people of God. In fact, they were the people of God, the chosen people of God for a couple of thousand years because the Messiah would come through the Israelites. Through Abraham's seed would come the Messiah. They had the adoption. They had the glory. Kabbath. kaboth, Kabbath is a visible token of God's presence. And you go in the tabernacle and you see the evidence of God. You go in the temple and the light. And God would express himself. Or a pillar of fire. Or a pillar of a cloud. Or you go to Mount Sinai and you see the, the expression of God. And you see a token of his reality. And they saw the glory of God. How in the world? How much did it have felt when... When God who says, I gave you the adoption, I I took you into myself like my own son, I took you in from Egypt and I showed you my glory. And how how must it have felt to God to be rejected by these people? But that's exactly what happened. They rejected him over and over and over again. He held on to them ultimately because the promise had been made that the Messiah would come through this seed line, the covenants covenants. What covenants are you thinking about? Well, I mean, wow, you, have, you, have, you have the covenant with Noah and the, and the expression of that covenant, the, the, the oath, was, of course, the rainbow. You see Abraham and, and the covenant was that, that these would be the people of God and the evidence of that of the oath was marked with circumcision. You, you think about, of course, ultimately Sinai. You got Sinai and what was you have the law, the law, and then, of course, Jesus Christ. And then he said the giving of the law. When the people came out of Egypt, they were, they were slaves. They were disjointed. They weren't united. And what God did was to take them to Sinai and through Moses gave them a law. And the law tied them together. It made them into a nation of people. And then the promises. I assume that he's talking about the promise to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob Through thy seed, all nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And you, you Israelites, you had it. Five, of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came. Now, in your mind, you've got to underline according to the flesh. Because they were not righteous people most of the time. And as as the, the time went on, they degenerated into idolatry to the point that God sent sent them into captivity, he gave up on them. God blessed forever. Now, here's verse 6, and it's my last point. The final view of, of the nation of Israel. Now, what I'm going to do in this is to give you a series of verses, but let's start out by reading verse 6 through 8. Now, some of that's going to seem really confusing to you if you haven't done a good bit of study on this, but it goes like this. It is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they're the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac, your seed will be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh... These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. This is dramatic teaching for Arabs today, followers of Muhammad that say the land belongs to us because we're the descendants of Abraham. Hold on. You know, you just don't understand. You don't understand. It wasn't just the fact that you have Abraham's genes that made you accepted by God. And I can prove that. It was, it was by faith and it was by promise, not just by being a descendant of Abraham. You can prove that by Ishmael. And so he says, it's not. It's, it's through Isaac. The seed is through Isaac. But not just that. You go through the history of the Old Testament and the Israelite nation, and how many times did you see them forsake God? And how many times did you see God push them away? I will not have this. And of course, again, you have this, this cyclical thing of of uniting with the idolatrous people of Canaan, and ultimately God let them go. God just sent them away. First, the the Israel, you know, the kingdoms were divided. You had Israel and Judah. Essentially, 10 tribes were Israel, the northern kingdom, and they went into Assyrian captivity and just sort of melted into that culture. And they're, by and large, they were just gone. God rejected them because of their idolatry. About 130 years later, you have the, the southern kingdom, the Jews, the, you know, did you know that Judah is from, I mean, Jew comes from Judah. What does it mean when somebody's a Jew? And we sometimes synonymously put those words together, Israel and Jew. That's a misnomer. It's not true. That's not really true. One small part of Israel became Judah. It was, it was, it was that tribe predominantly. And, and so when they, they were broken apart, Israel went into captivity in Assyria. But the small part, Judah, they were the Jews in Esther, the first time you ever find the word Jew in the Bible. And when you get to the New Testament, of course, that's what they recall because what you had left at the time of Jesus was a tiny, tiny remnant of people who were from Judah, the Jews. They were left over. So to say that they are Israel is, is really a misunderstanding of, of what the Bible says. Here, you have the great and final view that Paul is going to present of the nation of Israel from the flesh and from the spirit or or what would be opposite of the flesh. First thing is that Israel's not actually Israel. Now, I want to go back to I'm, going to… I'm going to run a series of verses up here, about 10. I won't take long with each, but I want to knock your socks off with just how much the Bible teaches what I'm saying, which is that just because you can point back and say, through our line somewhere back there is Abraham. So we have a right to the promises through Abraham is a false statement. And the Israel of the scripture today is not, spiritually speaking, is not made up of those people who live in Palestine, who live in the place now called Israel. They are Jews, but they are they God's approved Israel? The answer is certainly not, and the Bible bears it out over and over. All right. Israel is not Israel. All Israel is not Israel, Paul says. Now back to Genesis 21 and verse 12. So he says, go ahead and send away Hagar and Ishmael, because in Isaac your seed shall be called. You see that? You should underline that. It didn't matter that Ishmael was born of Abraham. It didn't matter a snap because the promise wasn't through Ishmael. Oh, yeah, he's got Abraham's blood. Big deal. That's not going to do it. It wasn't just that. It was that the seed promise was through Isaac. Abraham had two sons. And before, from each came a nation. One was conceived of the flesh, if you please, the other of the spirit. The Messiah would only come through one. I would, I would have you remember that this same thing is true about Esau and Jacob, which was born first. Esau was. They're twins. Esau was born first. Through whom did the seed promise for the Messiah come? And the answer was it was through Jacob. It was through the younger one. It wasn't just the fact that you have the oldest, and the oldest just naturally inherits this, like, like the Arabs believe about Ishmael. It's about faithfulness too. It's about people's faithfulness. And all through the Old Testament, people who are Israel physically didn't prove themselves to him spiritually. Here's Isaiah 10 and verse 20. It'll come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such have escaped the house of Jacob will never again depend on him who defeated them, but will depend on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel in truth. You see the word remnant, remnant. The remnant is not just Israel. It's the survivors of the house of Jacob. It's about truth. And it was only a few people who came through all of that because it was about faith, not genes. And that's why Paul says all people in Israel are not Israel. What? It means the difference between genes and spirituality, the faithfulness. The righteousness of these people and, and eked out in the Jews. Were, how many people in Acts 2 were baptized? 3,000 were. They were baptized into Christ. Who were they? They were Jews. And all this history, what it comes down to is God wanted the seed promise to come through people who were faithful to him. Here's Romans 2 verse 28. Ready? This is, this is huge. He, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not of the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. What does it mean? God's people are not identified simply by the blood in their veins. God's people are identified by their faithfulness to him. And that's always been true. The seed line was why God preserved the Israelite nation. The Messiah would come through Abraham's bloodline, but that didn't mean that God would simply approve everything Israel did, and God didn't. In fact, by and large, well, ultimately, in A.D. 70, you have the destruction of Jerusalem for God to say, that's that. That's that. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. He's talking about Israel during the time of Moses. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. There's the wilderness generation. They perished there in the wilderness, except for Joshua and Caleb. But most of them, God wouldn't have. I won't have them. Come on now. They're descendants of Abraham. Yeah, but so was Ishmael. God, God's not going to have him, nor his descendants yeah, but what about people who are the Jews? What about the Israelites descending from Abraham? I'm going to have the ones who will walk with me, otherwise I'll reject them. What matters more than the bloodline, the, 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 the progenitor, Abraham, what matters more is whether or not they'll be faithful. Now, Galatians 6, verse 15. The Israel of God is now Christians. Christians, I'm going to prove this. I'm not just going to assert it, but Christians are Israel today. Spiritual Israel. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. Remember Romans 6, we come up out of the water to walk in newness of life when we're baptized. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. It is not incorrect today to refer to the church, to Christians, as God's Israel, spiritually speaking. True Israel is not physical, ladies and gentlemen. True Israel is spiritual. A Jew is not a Jew because you can see it. Circumcision is by the heart, not by the letter. Now Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7. And so God brings in the New Testament law, a new covenant. And Hebrews chapter 8, I'm going to read an Old Testament passage in Jeremiah 31, but Hebrews 8 is reflecting upon that. For if that first covenant, there's the law of Moses, there's there's Israel's law. If that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, that is to say, well, well, that's a law. A law by itself is not about grace. A law is to condemn the the infraction of its contents. That's what a law is. The old law could have been just fine. It could have been a permanent law, except for one thing. People sinned. And what do you do with that? The law simply condemned people for their sin, and they did. And what we needed was a covenant of grace. And the fact of the matter is, unlike the premillennialists hold that say that, you know, God meant for Israel all the way through, and that the cross... They didn't mean for the cross to happen. The church was supposed to, is a stopgap measure, and it's all a confusing thing. No, no, no. It's actually from the foundation of the world, God knew the church would exist. And that old law served to remind us, to let us teach us, to let us know that, that we needed God's grace. What we had to have was, was the cross, or we couldn't make it when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, Jeremiah 31, verse 31. The only passage in the Old Testament where the phrase new covenant is found. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my law into their minds, write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor, every man his brother, saying, know the Lord. They'll all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no no more. Now, we talked about this recently, a couple of weeks ago, so I won't spend much time on it. But... He's talking about Christianity. He's talking about the church. He's talking about the new covenant, the, not the old covenant, the law of Moses. This is the law of Christ. This is the new covenant based on the cross. I, I was at the table, lunch table, a couple of weeks ago with Paul and Andy. It sounds like a comedian, comedian team, doesn't it? It's, it's Paul and Andy. And, and they were talking about trucks, big trucks. And, and made the observation, they were bemoaning the fact that some of these big trucks, are uh, they, they, they go down in, I don't know, 70,000 to 80,000 miles. They, they go down, and it t- takes a ton of money to get them back going again. And, and so they were talking about, I said, and then you take them back, and you, you can spend a lot of money, and they'll put a lot of new parts in it, and you can make it good where it's really good. If you spend enough money, you can make it where it'll last a long time. I said, well, how come they don't just make them that way to begin with? And the answer is revenue stream. The answer is that they make their money, according to the table discussion, they make their money by selling new trucks and by selling new parts. And so, they have parts built into those engines that are intended to expire shortly. I mean, not to, not to live a long time. It was all, it's all deliberate, that was what they asserted. Well, maybe that's not a great illustration. Because uh, there's something that doesn't smell right about that to me. But let me tell you what. The old law was built to expire. The law of Moses was built to expire. It always was true. Who's Israel? Well, biblically, today, unless you're talking about historic, in historic terms, You go back in the Old Testament, if you're talking about that, you say, well, that was God's Israel, that was Israel. But if you're talking about substance, what really matters? I'm telling you, the Bible teaches that the church, Christians today, are God's Israel. Now, let's go go to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. The Israelites' descendants of Abraham are no longer, they don't longer have a place or pride. The, The new covenant was was to welcome them into God's kingdom. They're just as welcome into God's kingdom as anybody else. Hebrews 9, 15. For this reason, he's the mediator of the new covenant by means of death. For the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. In other words, the blood of Jesus went back to the righteous people who God wants in heaven with him forever. So, when God speaks of Israel in the Bible. He speaks of Israel, and this is my conclusion, in two ways. This is the point of this morning's sermon. You come back tonight, I want to talk about Palestine and and I want to talk about Gaza and the times in the Bible when you read about Gaza, the things that occurred there and what the ultimate lesson of the Gaza Strip is. What's the lesson? What do we draw today? What can we learn from this? But when God speaks of Israel today, he speaks in two different ways, genetic and spiritual. Genetic, the Old Testament Israel descended from Abraham. God turned away from most of them because they were not faithful. Most were not saved. Then this is spiritual. The second way he talks about Israel is spiritual, the followers of Christ. I know that we use the term Israel. We we use it in a non-technical way, and I do this myself when talking about Israelis and the people over in that territory, territory, we refer to them as Israel. That's a non-technical sense in which we use that. But the true Israel today are Christians. Can you prove that, Glenn? Here's Galatians 3 and 27. If the New Testament is true, I can. And it is. For you, as many of you as were baptized into Jesus Christ... He started this, we're all the sons of God, through Christ Jesus, faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. You're all one in Christ, Jesus. There is neither Jew nor Greek, Gentile, Jew or Gentile, all that dissolves away. We're all one in Christ Jesus. Now listen to this. And if you are Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise? Now that's from the same pen of the Apostle Paul who wrote our text today in Romans chapter 9, and who said, who said, They're not all Israel who are of Israel. Why? It's a distinction between genetics, the genes, and who God really is accepting, who he will accept. It's always been true. It was true in the Old Testament. It's true now. True Israel today are not those who are descendants of Abraham in a bloodline. It's about… It has nothing to do with Jewish heritage. Now, one more. 1 Peter 2 verse 9. Talking to Christians. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, A holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. What we want in the Middle East is peace. What we want, and politically, perhaps we, we, again, we have a viewpoint. Depends on who you listen to, I guess. But perhaps we have the viewpoint that we need uh, Israel, we need the Jews for stability in that region. There there very well may be merit to that. That's how presidents have viewed it for a long time. What we cannot have is terrorism. No culture, no society can tolerate terrorism. It's got to be stopped. Stopped. It's got to be stomped out. But that is not a religious discussion. And I, I love people who are Arabs as much as I love people who are Israelis. I'll tell you this, they bear the similarity that both of them are human beings, but they also bear this more important similarity, and that is that outside of Christ, they'll be lost. Jesus Christ is the only hope. And today's Israel is presented as an option to both those groups of people. That'd be very offensive to the Arabs, I think, to hear me say that, but it's the truth. The spiritual Israel are people who are Christians. Hope you come back tonight. Let's talk about Gaza. And I hope already you're thinking about Gaza and maybe there are some some passages already that you, oh, I remember this about Gaza. Well, tonight we'll talk about some of that history around that land and hope it'll be very interesting to you. I wonder if there's somebody here today who wants to become a Christian. We make a point at the end of our sermons, all of our sermons, to ask this question. Anybody want to become a Christian and make ourselves available to help you obey the gospel if you have made that decision or to offer to study with you if you want to study about it some more, we'll sit down privately and I'll be happy to do that with you now after this worship is finished and and we'll study about what it means to be a Christian. If you've repented of your sins, though, and you're ready to confess the name of Jesus Christ, that you believe he is the Son of God, which has a tremendous bearing on our lesson this morning, doesn't it? He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He is the one. Then you can be baptized. The Bible says that we're baptized into Christ and baptized into his death. It's the only road to heaven. It's the only path by which we can be saved. We've got to have the grace that comes by the blood then we'll baptize you. We'll be happy to immerse you this morning. And if you are a Christian, but you need the prayers of the Christians, for whatever reason, now would be a great time. Come. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.